Good morning. So good to see you guys as we gather on the Lord's Day. Let me remind you of a handful of things by way of announcement. Uh, This evening, this afternoon, 5 o'clock here in the sanctuary, we're going to gather together for another time of corporate prayer together. So 5 o'clock this afternoon here in the sanctuary, specifically tonight, we're going to be thinking about and praying toward uh, for and for our children's ministry, uh, just as we think about the future of children's ministry here at Faith Family, we want to seek the Lord's wisdom, and so we'll talk through uh, some of that tonight as we gather at 5 o'clock for prayer. Also, last day to sign up for a couple of things. So if you are intending to join us in Guatemala this summer, July the 8th through the 15th, uh, we would love, love, love for you to sign up by today. Uh, there are sign-up sheets on uh, the tables as you make your way out the doors. Uh, if you are on the email list and get those Saturday emails, uh, actually you've gotten a couple of emails this past week about that, you can kind of log in there and sign up that way. If you still have questions about Guatemala, kind of what that is, what that's going to look like, how it's all going to happen, pull me aside after service today and let me know. I'm so thankful for the, the crew that's already signed up for that. It is not too late uh, for you to begin thinking about and praying toward how the Lord might use you in that this summer. And then also, beginning next Sunday morning during the Sunday School Hour, we'll begin uh, another cycle of Body Life, our new members class here at Faith Family. And so if you are new to our fellowship and you would love to know more about the life of the church, how to become a member, how to plug in more uh, here at Faith Family, we would love for you to be a part of that. That begins next Sunday, 9.15 during the Sunday School Hour. Again, there are sign-up sheets on the tables as you make your way out. Already a good crew uh, for the month of March, and we would love for any remaining folks to sign up and be a part of that. So again, if you have questions on any of those things, let us know before you leave here today. All right, so glad to see your faces. So good to be with you as we gather on the Lord's Day for worship once again. Let me pray for us, and we will do what it is that we came here to do this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gathering of your people, whether it be in this building or all over the world, God, on this day. On this day, the church gathers, the saints gather together, all the redeemed come together. They, God, lift one corporate voice in prayer and in praise unto you, O God. We open up one holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, eternal, powerful word, God, to hear from you this day. Oh God, we want to be hearers of your word. God, we want to be effectual doers of your word. God, we want in our praise, God, we want you to be honored, magnified, exalted among us. God, we thank you for what we have learned in the Sunday school hour. Now, God, take that and just continue to build upon that in our hearts. God, may we respond to you accordingly this Lord's Day. God, thank you for these dear people. God, thank you that you have brought them together. You have preserved them throughout this past week. God, I know that there are cares and concerns and problems to deal with in the week ahead. But Lord, for this moment, on this day, God, would you cause the noise of what is behind and ahead, God, would you cause that noise to quiet? So God, that we might hear from you, Lord, that we might see you, that we might fix our eyes 
on you. So, oh God, help us in that way. We ask and we pray all this in Christ's great name. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we open with worship. of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings amazing grace this is a failing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I've seen for all that you've done for me who brings our chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that I would be set For all that you've done for me, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, worthy is the King who conquered the grave, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, worthy is the King who conquered the grave, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for All that you've done for me
Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, to every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. All knowing he counts not their sum Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore And our sins they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord His mercy is more It's stronger to every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roll? What Father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest. The vilest, the poor, in our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness to every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. on us. His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. In our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Praise
Church family, would you take God's word and join me in Hebrews chapter 5 this morning for our scripture reading, Hebrews chapter 5. We continue to read our way through this glorious epistle to a group of believers who have trusted in Christ but are being tempted to walk away from Christ, to go back to the old ways of maybe Jesus plus something else, which is not the gospel. And so the author of Hebrews time and time again is speaking to them to say, do not drift away, do not go back, Jesus is better. Last week in chapter 4, we read of how it is through Christ that we enter into an eternal rest, a rest from our sin and our striving to be made right with God on our own, and we enter that rest only through Christ. And now in Hebrews chapter 5, we enter that rest through Christ because He is the better, the greater high priest who gives us that access. And so as we hear from God's Word this morning, we ask and we pray that God would take this eternal truth and that He would write this upon our hearts. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset by weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify Himself so as to become a high priest, but He who said to Him, You are My Son. Today I have begotten You. Just as He says also in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of His flesh, He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the One able to save Him from death, And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him, he became the source of eternal salvation. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Beloved, would you be seated? And as you do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, before us, It's the holy word of God, and it tells us 
God, about you. It tells us about us. It tells us about the gospel. It tells us about Christ. It tells us, God, how you have, through Christ, reconciled and redeemed your people to yourself. God, in your word is the clear understanding, O God, that you are a holy, thrice holy God. That it is your holiness that dominates all of your character. Father, we read in your word that because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our pride, O God, we have been separated from you because of that sin. God, we read that we are under holy wrath. God, but we also read that by Your grace and Your mercy, according to Your great love with which You have loved us, God, You have saved Your people in Your Son, Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is our Mediator, our Redeemer. He is our High Priest. God, He is the only means by which we have access to You. Father, as the author of Hebrews wrote to these people who were tempted to walk away from Christ, to go back to the old ways, to go back to a a sacrificial system, to go back to laws about food and, and, and celebrations and sacrifices. God, the author of Hebrews, God, You're holy inspired word is just calling your people to come to Christ, to look to Christ, to find their all and all in Christ. Father, your word calls us to grow up in Christ. As those who have been saved, Father, we, we do not go back to the elemental teachings. Father, we do not go back to the things that we learned and believed before the gospel, but we continue to grow up in Christ to grow to maturity, to move from milk to solid food, to be those who are able to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is true and what is false. God, our prayer in response to these things, for one another, for the believers in this room this morning, Father, our prayer is that corporately together on this Lord's Day that we would grow up in Christ. Oh God, humble us under the the reality that there's not a single one of us from the pulpits of the pew who who has reached completeness, perfection. Father, we all stand so desperately need, desperately in need of the grace of Christ, of the Word of God. So Father, I pray that You would do a work in Your church this morning. God, that You would draw near to Your people by Your Spirit through Your powerful Word, God, to just make us more like Jesus. Father, we also pray that if there be one among us that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they have not yet gained access to You through Christ. They remain separated from You because of their sin. Oh God, would You show them the sweetness and the beauty of Jesus. Oh God, draw them to Yourself. God, we are asking that in all the ways that You have ordained before the foundation of the world, oh God, that You would move and work in our hearts this day. 
Build your church. Save your people. God, help us to be sensitive, oh God, to what you are doing, what you are saying in our hearts through your word. Father, guard us from the folly of gathering here and going through uh, the, the, the singing and the standing and the reading and the, 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 the quoting of Scripture. God, guard us from going through those exercises without our hearts being moved and changed. God, you intend to move us toward faithfulness in Christ. Father, we pray that you would do that in us. Make us sensitive, oh God. Make us pliable in your hands. God, as we continue to lift our voices in song, oh God, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. God, give us the hope of eternal life, hope of glory, and Father, what still awaits us because of Jesus. We pray all this in His name. Amen. Amen. Church family, this next song, uh, it's one that we've never done here before. Um, and we sent it out uh, to you guys. I hope you had a chance to listen to it, get familiar with it. But if not, we're going to teach you the chords here in just a second. Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to read a section of Scripture, um, the passage that the authors of this song got inspiration from. Um, so in starting in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know in full, just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Every place 
without a nose within We'll be underneath our feet and never rise again All our sins will be behind us Through the blood of Christ He raised And we'll taste your
sing God's praise then when we first begun and we've no less days to So Jeremiah 17, 7 is our verse for February, and so if you would, recite it with me out loud one time. You ready? Okay. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the one who trusts the Lord. Blessing. It's good. It is good to trust the Lord. It is good to find hope in Him. He is eternal. The only promise in those, song, in those songs we just sung, the only promise and hope we have is Christ. It's Him and Him alone. It's not what we do. It's not what we can lose or what we can gain. It is simply Christ. He is our hope. So in Him, in trusting God, there is blessing, there is hope, there is life. So I hope this morning your trust is renewed. I hope you trust Him. I hope your faith is in the Lord, in His goodness, in His grace, in what He has done on your behalf, that He has sent His Son to save you and to pay your debt. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are trustworthy. We can depend upon you, that you and your character, you do what you say, and that in your word you fulfill. Thus, we are blessed if we trust in you. And so, Father, would you help us this morning? May we May the, the recesses of our hearts, of our souls, where we trust in ourselves, where we trust in man, where we trust in things that we can do, Lord, for life and happiness and hope, God, would you illuminate those things by your word, those areas, those places, and draw us, Lord, in repentance, that, God, we would truly and fully trust in you for all, that we would trust not in what others tell us we should hope in but that we would hope fully in Christ and in Him alone. That we would hope in You and trust in You for life, for future, for provision. That God, we would find in You an anchor. We would find in You a, a foundation, the cornerstone. That we can hope in, trust in, and truly be blessed in. So, Father, would you lead and guide us, God, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you take God's word and join me this morning in Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. I don't, I don't know where Alex went. I don't think he's in the room, so I can say it with him not being in the room. All right. Oh, except he's way up there. He's going to hear me anyway. I, I just, man, Alex, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for this team that's up here every week and working really, really hard um, to, uh, to help lead us in worship on the Lord's Day. And I hope you benefit by singing gospel-rich music that hopefully you remember throughout the week and that you'll be singing Uh, On Wednesday morning, when it's super hard and you're ready to quit your job, um, you'll be singing uh, When We See His Face. It'll all be worth it, gang. It'll all be worth it. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Just a reminder of where we were last week in verses 12 to 17, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. In verses 12 to 16 last week, we saw that the light, who is Christ, that the light has entered into the darkness. And there's just such glorious hope in this. There's such glorious grace in this. We are those who lived in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. We are those beset by our sin. We are those who have known the darkness that comes because of sin, because sin is darkness. And we are those, church, upon whom the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ has shone. And so we have been brought out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And we also saw secondly in verse 17 last week that in the coming of Christ that the kingdom has come. You remember Christ comes preaching repent for because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ, the King of the kingdom, His righteous rule and reign that has begun in part at His first coming will come to full fruition at His second coming, even though now spreading across the land through the hearts of men and women and boys and girls through the work and the ministry of the local church. The kingdom has come. We even saw how that demands of us a response that if the King is coming, then that demands that others be told about that coming, right? And so with those, even those ideas from last Sunday, those themes from that text of light into the darkness and the kingdom has come, I don't want you to forget those because those in so many ways serve as the impetus for where we are in verses 18 to 22 this morning. In the text, a familiar text to many of you, You recall how Jesus at the outset of his ministry, he called those first disciples to himself. In the text before us this morning, we see him calling his first four disciples, two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. I want us thinking a lot about that word disciple this morning. What that means, not only for those who walked behind Jesus Uh, some 2,000 years ago, but what that word means for us sitting here this morning. In Scripture, the word disciple, it means a follower. It, It literally means one who lines up behind his master or teacher and follows after him doing only and always the will of 
the Master. You, you recall that throughout Jesus' life, He's going to have many disciples. There will be many followers. However, as we see at the beginning of the Gospel narratives, that He will call 12 men particularly. He will call these. He has chosen them. He has called them. He has appointed them to follow Him closely. To follow Him intimately. To share in the labors of ministry with Him on a daily basis. And beloved, lest we think that this idea of discipleship and following, lest we think that that is a practice of a bygone ancient day, we remember this this morning, church, that the call to be a Christian, if you say of yourself in this room this morning, I am a Christian, then necessarily what that means for you is that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a disciple because being called as a Christian is a call to discipleship. Being a Christian is not just something we believe or a fact to which we attest so that we might escape hell. Being a Christian is a call to be sure out of our sin. It is to be sure a rescue from the wrath of God. But it is also a call to follow after Jesus. It is a call to be like Jesus. To talk like Jesus. To go the places Jesus went. To proclaim the message that Jesus would proclaim. And at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian, a disciple, a follower, it is a call to be daily conformed to the image of the One who has called you by His grace. Remember, you were called out of darkness into His marvelous light, not so that you would keep living in darkness. But you were called out of darkness so that you might live daily more and more and more in the light, being shaped and conformed and changed by the light as a follower of the One who is the light of the world. So it's a call to followship if you will, discipleship that follows after Christ. And we'll think about what all that means together this morning. So from the text, verses 18 to 22, what I want us to do this morning is I want us to see three aspects of Christ's call to discipleship. Three aspects of Christ's call to discipleship. Look at the text with me, Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And He said to them, follow Me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed Him. Going on from there, He saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So two brothers, two sets of brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, fishermen, called now to be followers of Christ so that they might be made fishers of men. It's an interesting group. 
that Jesus first calls to himself. And so here's our first aspect of Christ's call to discipleship. That Christ's call is not according to the world's standard. Christ's call to discipleship is not in accordance with the world's standard. He, in fact, uses a very different standard. Look in verse 18 again. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And in this note for, why were they casting their nets into the sea? They were fishermen. They were fishermen. You recall from last week that as Jesus has moved north into the northern region of Israel, the region of Galilee, Jesus will spend about a year and a half or so of his ministry there. Capernaum will be his home base, if you will. It sits on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so in that region, one day, verse 18, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. This sea is going to play really a pivotal part in the life and the ministry of Jesus and the disciples throughout the gospel narratives, the Sea of Galilee, a relatively small body of water. You might want to even think about it as just a large lake, some 13 miles long by just eight miles wide. But around this Sea of Galilee, many fishing villages, many fishing towns were surrounding the sea. Fishing in that region was the, it was the main trade, it was the main occupation of those in these villages and in these towns. And so it would, it would be no surprise to us then that one day, walking by the sea, Jesus encounters two brothers, Peter and Andrew, later James and John, fishing, for they were in fact Fisherman. Now, as Jesus in verse 18, as he meets Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, it's probably important for you to know this is not Jesus' first interaction with Andrew and Peter. If you were to look over in the beginning of John's gospel, John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42, about a year earlier, Jesus had first encountered, he had first met Andrew, because we read that Andrew was actually a a follower, a disciple of John the Baptist. But when Jesus shows up, Uh, Andrew sort of leaves his following of John the Baptist. His ministry is fading. The ministry of Christ is coming onto the scene. He begins to follow Christ. We read in those verses in John 1 that Andrew, pretty true to who he is throughout the gospel narratives, he goes and finds somebody to bring to Jesus. And it just so happens that he starts in his own house. He goes and he finds his brother Peter and brings them. And so about a year earlier, this relationship between Jesus and Andrew and Peter begins. Well, now, again, a year later, as this ministry begins in earnest, Jesus comes once again to where Andrew and Peter are there by the sea. And what is he doing in this text? He is calling them to a more permanent Uh, a fellowship, discipleship, if you will. He is calling them to follow Him on a more permanent basis. But before we consider the call of Christ, when He calls Him to follow Him, I want you to look at the end of verse 18. This might seem extremely obvious. You might even wonder why Matthew would bother to put this in the text. They were casting a net into the sea for... Because they were 
fishermen. Same is going to be true for James and John. Look down in verse 21. James and John, they're in the boat with Zebedee, their father. At the end of verse 21, they are mending their nets. They are also fishermen. And it is to these fishermen that Jesus comes and calls out to them. Fishing's a good occupation. You're probably not going to get independently wealthy off of it. But it could potentially be a successful business venture. But even as good as it might be, you might not think or you might not expect that Jesus the Son of God would come and call as His disciples a handful of fishermen. Jesus is the King after all. He's the King of kings. He is the beloved Son of God. He is the long-awaited Messiah and Redeemer. And so, surely, Jesus, with all that you are, with all that is true about you and what it is that you came to earth to do, surely, Jesus, you're going to find a different class of people to call to yourself and to use for your kingdom-advancing purposes. Surely, Jesus, you're going to call people with more money. It's going to take money to do ministry. So surely, Jesus, you're going to find people with deep pockets. Surely, if you're going to engage the minds of people, you want to call disciples with a lot of education, a lot of knowledge and learning. Surely, Jesus, with a, with a message of repentance of sin, surely you want to call people as your disciples whose lives are a little more put together. Peter? Really? Peter? As John MacArthur has called him in his book, Twelve Ordinary Men, MacArthur calls him the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. Because he's always putting his foot in his mouth with the things that he says. You recall Peter, even on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed and arrested. It's Peter cursing out a young servant girl out in the courtyard. Surely, Jesus, you want to call to yourself people whose lives are just a little more put together. Surely, Jesus, you want to call people as your disciples who literally don't stink like fish. Surely, you want a different kind of people following after you. Jesus, if nothing else, don't you want to just call people as your disciples? Ministry partners? Don't you want to call people who just look the part a little more? Not like they just got off a three-day fishing trip on the Sea of Galilee? Church, Christ's call, Christ's call is not according to the world's standard. And that has never been the case. It's never been the case. You, you recall back in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, Saul has been rejected as the king of Israel. God comes to Samuel and says, I want you to go ordain the next king of Israel. Uh, Samuel goes to Jesse's house, right? And the sons begin to pass by and Samuel takes one look at the first son that walks in the door and he's like, yep, that is the one. That one looks the part. 
If anybody is going to be the next king of Israel, it's that guy. And the Lord interjects in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 and says, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Church, remember that the call to salvation and to follow after Christ and to be used by Him as His disciple, it is not based on the world's standards, but it is based solely on God's standard of grace. And I want this to serve as an encouragement to you. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think here we see how this idea comes together. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is drawing contrasts between wisdom and folly. And then he turns the corner in those final verses of chapter 1 to explain why God operates the way that He operates and why God uses the kind of people that he uses. 1 Corinthians 1, look down to verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are. Now watch this. So that. Here's why God does what He does. So that no man may boast before the Lord. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. About these fishermen that the Lord Jesus calls, Charles Spurgeon said, these would be the briars upon which He could graft the roses of His grace. Beloved, God is not choosing the noble, the wise according to the flesh, the mighty, those with all the money, those who look and play the part. Christ's call is not according to the world's standard, but by His grace. And because God has first come to you in His grace, God intends to use you for His kingdom purposes. And so, friend, hear me. You are not too far gone because of your past sins. You are not too far gone and now somehow branded as unusable by God because of past sins. If you have repented of those things, if you are walking in holiness now, oh beloved, you are usable 
in God's hands. You are not unusable to God because you don't, quote, have your life together. And church, praise God that He doesn't wait on us to get our life together. Because if He's waiting on that, He's going to have to wait for eternity. Because we're never going to get it together. His, His standard is not the world's standard. If you're a Christian this morning, that's because of God's grace. And that same grace that saved you, dear saint, is the same grace that God is going to continually give you day in and day out so that you might walk as His disciple and be used by Him for kingdom advancing ministry. Do you not have it all together this morning? Did you go days this past week without even reading your Bible? Are you struggling in a fight against sin and temptation? Join the crowd. While we do not sugarcoat sin and we do not give allowance for that, we we do not wink at sin, be sure. But if that's where you are, and every day, maybe right now you're in a season where every day just feels like a struggle, and you're saying to yourself or listening to the lie of your own heart, God, God is not God is not using me. God is not going to use me. I'm just too far gone. I'm too much of a mess. Praise God that it's not according to the world's standard, even your standard, but it's according to the standard of His grace. Secondly, second aspect of Christ's call to discipleship is that Christ's call is a call to follow Him. It's a call to follow him. Verse 19, to Andrew and Peter, he said to them, follow me. Look down to verse 21, James, John, in the boat with their dad, Zebedee. In verse 21, he called them. It's that same call to follow after him. Now here's what's interesting about this whole moment. Normally in Jewish culture, when a Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi, when he would attain followers, the way that that would work is because somebody who wanted to be his disciple, they would come to him. They would first approach him and say, hey, I want to be your disciple. And after an agreement is made, that person then literally falls in line behind the the rabbi, the teacher, and just kind of follows him then wherever he goes. Do you notice that that's not how this works in verses 19 and 21. Jesus does not wait on Peter and Andrew to come to him. Jesus takes the initiative and goes to them. And once again, church, we say, praise God that he does not wait on us to make the first move because if he did, we would never come to him in our spiritual darkness and death. Three years later, in the upper room, right before Jesus is to be crucified, He's teaching and instructing and encouraging His disciples, and He's reminding them of their, uh, their position 
as disciples. And he says to them in John, verses 15 and verse 15, chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. There's some trepidation in their hearts over the fact that Jesus is about to die. He's just told them in John 14 that He's going away to prepare a place for them. And Thomas is really confused about that moment, right? And so Jesus continues to encourage and build them up and He reminds them that my call or, or your position as a disciple is not based on you, it's based on me and that I came to you and called you and established you to bear fruit. Go do what I have called you to do. So in this moment, Jesus comes to Peter and Andrew and He calls them to follow Him on this more permanent basis. In verse 20, what do they do? They immediately left their nets and they followed Him. They follow. They give themselves fully to a life with Christ. To the ministry to which He calls and entrusts them. Church, what did it mean for Peter and Andrew, James and John, what did it mean for them to follow Christ? What does it mean for you today to follow Christ? Again, just a reminder that that word disciple means follower, and the word follow in the text, it means to come after or to come behind. The disciples, the followers, they line themselves up behind their Master and they actually follow Him. Church, if you're not following Jesus, then you're not following Jesus. Because to be a follower of Jesus means some really particular things about your life. Let me just mention three. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that you're going to live in obedience to Him. Beloved, obedience is not legalism. Obedience to God and His Word is not legalism. You cannot obey enough to be saved. But once you are saved and you begin to have affections for Christ and His Word and you begin to obey, oh beloved, that is a delight to God and it is good for you. Do not believe the antinomian thread that weaves itself through certain sectors of Christianity that allows you a flippant grace to live however you want outside of the law and the Word of God. To be a follower of Christ means that we will obey. Now to be sure, we're not going to do that perfectly. But it does mean that the overall trajectory of our life is toward Christ and toward obedience. What would Jesus say in John 8.31, if you abide in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. One of the defining marks of a disciple, a follower, one who is a Christian, is that of obedience. Are there patterns of obedience in your life this morning? Are you following after all that the Lord has called you to do or at least fighting against sin 
so that you might follow in obedience. To be a follower, secondly, means that if God calls it of you, you will willingly leave everything behind. Now listen, God may not call you to sell everything you own and go live in the bush of Africa somewhere. But there is at least a willingness to lay it all down and leave it all behind if that's what God calls. Verse 20, what was their response? They immediately left their nets and followed Him. It doesn't seem that there's any kind of conversation about this. James and John, in verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Him. Dad, we got to go. And they walked away, at least for a season. They walked away from what the Lord had called them to do as, or given them ability to do as a fisherman to go follow after Christ. What does the old hymn from Martin Luther say? In a mighty fortress is our God. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, but His truth abideth still. For His kingdom is forever and ever. John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, he said this, daily Christian living is daily Christian dying. The dying I have in mind is the dying of comfort and security and reputation and health and family and friends and wealth and homeland. These may be taken from us at any time in the path of Christ-exalting obedience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said this, that when God calls a man, He bids him come and die. Come and die. If anyone wishes, Jesus said in Matthew 16.24, if anyone wishes to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Following Jesus means a willingness to daily die to self. Your plans, your rhythms, your passions, your pursuits, and to follow after Christ. Every day to wake up and say, God, my life is not my own. Use me however you will. In part, at least, that's what it looks like to be a disciple. And then thirdly, it's a call to share the Gospel and advance His kingdom. What does it mean to be a follower? It's a call to share the Gospel and to advance His kingdom. More on that in just a moment. But ask yourself today, am I following Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to follow Christ. We're not just asking, are you a Christian? We're certainly not asking somewhere along the line, did you pray a prayer and have a moment of baptism? It's not that those things are insignificant. But the pressing question upon us from the text this morning is, are you following Christ? Walking in obedience to Him. Daily dying to self. Making Him known. If you're here this morning and you're not following Christ, oh friend, you need to hear me say 
that you must turn to Jesus and you must do that today. You must not delay. You must stop working to get yourself right with God and get yourself to heaven on your own merit. And you must follow Christ. Turn from your sins. Place all of your hope eternity, for eternity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, do you have those patterns of obedience, dying to self, and kingdom advancing fellowship? And then lastly, the third aspect of Christ's call to discipleship is Christ's call to seek the lost. It's a call from Christ to seek the lost. Look back in verse 19. He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately take up that task. Church, Jesus intends a greater purpose for you than just merely existing. Than just merely getting up in the morning and doing the routine and going to the job and then going to sleep and waking it up the next morning and doing it all over again. There's nothing wrong with those rhythms. In fact, So often, that's what God calls us to. Just some normal rhythms. But in that, in that, there is a greater purpose for you. A greater call upon your life than just to merely exist and survive the day. And that call, at the end of verse 19, is to be what? Fishers of Men, do not miss what Jesus is doing here. Later in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, we read that the Son of Man has come to do what? It's very simple. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And what is Jesus doing with these four disciples in this text And what is even now still the call of Christ upon your life, church? It's to join Him in seeking and saving that which is lost. And church, there is no greater calling on our lives than to be like Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. Starting with these four disciples. Expanding out to twelve. And then to an uncountable number. Jesus has used His disciples over the last 2,000 years. Has used His disciples to take the message of the Gospel around the world. By evangelistic and the missional efforts of the church, God, by His grace, has brought many sons to glory. The beautiful feet that bring glad tidings of good things, they have walked the streets of foreign lands. They have walked across the streets in your neighborhood. 
to tell people about Jesus. Faithful mothers in their homes have taught and discipled their children. Faithful preachers have stood in pulpits over the last two millennia to plead with men and women and boys and girls. And yes, God sovereignly saves by His grace, but God also uses means. And the means that God uses is you, church. And so what that then means for us is that if we don't tell people about Jesus, they're never going to hear about Jesus, they're never going to know Jesus, and they're never ever going to turn to Jesus. Do you see how important this call of discipleship is upon our lives? Christian, you are the means that God uses to make His Gospel and His glory known. The call to be a fisher of men, verse 19, still remains today. So, let's ask this question. In order to be a fisher of men, what are, what are five things that must be true of our lives? Number one, you must be born again if you're going to be a fisher of men. What did Jesus say in verse 19? I will make you a fisher of men. You can't fish if you're not a fisher of men. Only Jesus can then make us, qualify us, and equip us. Secondly, if you're going to be a fisher of men, it must be true that you are actually a fisher. You will not catch fish if you do not go fishing. You will never see people turn from their sin and to Christ if you don't tell them, church, about Christ. Some of you recall the name D.L. Moody, uh, a, a figure from, I don't know, a long time ago, 100 years or so ago in this country. He was a great evangelist, preacher. One day after an evangelistic service, a Christian lady in the crowd came up to D.L. Moody and she said, Sir, I do not much care for your method of evangelism. To which he replied, I don't really care for it either. Uh, please tell me, what is your method of evangelism? To which she replied, I don't have one. To which he then replied, well then, I like mine much better. Are you telling people about Jesus? You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to know all the ins and outs of penal substitutionary atonement. You don't have to have a seminary degree on your wall if you are in Christ and you know the good news of how God saves His people from their sin in Christ. You now have a sermon to preach and an obligation to preach it. In order to be a fisher of men, you must be a fisher. Thirdly, in order to be a fisher of men, you must be where the fish are. Beloved, position yourself around lost people. Find ways to do that. 
Be creative. Listen, if you never go near the water, you never catch any fish. Position yourself around lost people. Do you know that the neighbor is lost? Find ways to interact with them. Do you know that the coworker is lost? Find ways to interact with them, even outside of work if necessary. Do you know that your, your child is lost? Mom? Dad? Go to them. Talk to them about the gospel. Fourthly, to be a fisher of men, you got to be persistent. Just keep at it. Most people don't respond to Christ after one conversation. Some do, but most do not. So you've got to keep at it. You're not going to catch a fish on every cast. You're not going to win a soul in every conversation. So be persistent. Build a relationship. Take the long view with people. And then in that persistence, fifthly, be patient. Be patient. Hey, God is going to save His people from their sins. He's going to. And so what that means for you, is that you can go have that gospel conversation and be faithful and then go home and go to sleep and rest well. God's going to save His people from their sins. So here's what that means for me. I preach as faithfully as I know how on the Lord's Day and then I go home and I sleep really well on Sunday nights because God is going to save His people from their sins. My responsibility is just to keep showing up, to be faithful, to keep preaching. Beloved, that is our responsibility as we seek to be fishers of men and to help call people out of darkness into his marvelous light speaking of D.L. Moody D.L. Moody once told a, it's a true story once told a story in one of his evangelistic moments of a ship that was making its way across Lake Erie through a terrible, terrible storm. And all across the, the shores of, of that lake, you know this to be true, other bodies of water, there are lighthouses, right, on the shore. They shine that light. But then there are also, as you near these harbors, there are what are called the, the lower lights. And these lights that are lower down, they're on kind of sea level, they're warning the pilots and the captains of these ships that there are rocks here, so steer clear of these rocks. So you then have what are called the upper lights of the lighthouse and the lower lights, warning of the rocks and the dangers below. So one night on Lake Erie in the midst of a terrible, terrible storm, a ship, some 200 people, they come near to the Cleveland Harbor there on Lake Erie, the captain was able to look up and to see the upper light of the lighthouse, but he goes to his pilot and says, can you see the, the lower lights? I don't, I don't see the lower lights into the harbor. And there were no lower lights that night. Maybe the storm had blown them out. There were no lower lights. They tried to make the passage into the harbor without the guide of the Lower lights, but the ship crashed and some 200 souls were lost. 
D.L. Moody then makes this application from that story. Brethren, the Master will take care of the great lighthouse of salvation, but it is our job to keep the lower lights burning to guide men safely to Him. God is absolutely sovereign by His grace over salvation. But church, never lose sight of the reality that God uses means. And the means that God uses are the beautiful feet of those who go and they tell and they're patient and they're persistent and they're faithful to make the Gospel of the Lord Jesus known. Praise God that the call to discipleship is not according to the world's standard, but Christ. The call to discipleship is a call to follow Him. Beloved, it is a call to seek the lost. Are you a follower today? If you are, are you walking as a disciple should walk? Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us to respond how we should as His Spirit works in us. Let's pray together. Father, it is by Your grace that You have saved. Oh God, we love Your sovereignty. God, we love that You have not waited on us, but God, You have first come to us. You've called us out of darkness into marvelous light. God, we understand that because it is Your grace that has called us, God, that we are not able in and of ourselves to then do what it is that You've called us to do and what it is that You've called us to be as disciples. So God, Your grace remains upon us. God, You never call us to do something that Your grace does not go in front of us. God, I, I, I pray most earnestly God, that as we delight in Your sovereign grace that has saved us, God, that we would also, also understand the sovereign calling upon our lives to be followers, disciples, and all that that means for us. So, God, we pray this morning for the one in the room who either just struggling in areas of obedience fighting against temptation sometimes and then, and then sometimes, God, if we're just honest, just lay down and, and let it roll over them. God, I, I pray that by Your grace that they would fight against sin, that they would fight for holiness. God, that we would just seek to be God-exalting, obedient disciples. God, help us to dismiss the idea that somehow obedience runs contrary to grace. 
God, it is because of your grace that we are able to obey. So, God, I pray that we would delight in obedience. God, would you work in our hearts if we have been lax in your call to our lives to be the lower lights that lead men and women, boys and girls, to the lighthouse of your salvation. Father, we have delighted to sing this morning of when we see your face. That we have sung that old, old sweet hymn when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. Oh, what sweetness awaits us. But God, remind us There are people within the sound of our voice every single day that as it currently stands, the only time they will see your face is in judgment. And God, give us great desires and passions to be fishers of men. God, hone that craft in us. God, we thank you for how you'll take your word now. The pure milk meat of your word. God, you'll use it in your people. In the life of this dear church. God, for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. We ask and we pray all these things in Christ's great name. Amen.